But first up tonight, finding baby formula has become something of a nightmare for some parents in the U.S., many parents in the U.S. these days. A number of factors have led to nationwide shortages, empty shelves, um, lots of consternation. Even President Biden chimed in this week saying his administration is stepping up its response to the formula shortage that has forced frenzied parents into online groups to swap and sell to each other to keep their babies fed. Um, the White House says Biden spoke Thursday with executives from manufacturers about how they could increase production and how his administration could help. He also talked with leaders from Walmart and Target about how to restock shelves. I'm sure you've seen the stories. It's alarming stuff. We were wondering what was going on in this country. Also, what's behind that shortage in the U.S. and how might it impact us here, if, when? So joining me now is Michelle Pensabranco. She's the, uh, Branco rather, she's the co-founder of the nonprofit Safely Fed Canada. Michelle, thank you so much for your time on a Friday night. Thank you. Happy to be here. Uh, the images we're seeing, it's certainly a huge story in the United States right now. The White House is involved. What's led to this? It's uh, It seems like a perfect storm of, of factors that have caused these shortages. It very much has been. I think for those of us who work in this uh, field, it's not really a surprise that this is um, a product line or pro- these are product lines that are produced by a really small number of manufacturers and that, that the production and the manufacturing capacity is very concentrated in just a couple of factories in the U.S. Um, so when there is um, a major problem in one of those factories, it, it can create pretty significant downstream impacts to the whole market. Before that, we had um, existing challenges because many of the inputs that come uh, into the U.S. to produce infant formula are also um, facing some supply chain uh, hiccups along the way, partly just in general and partly exacerbated by the pandemic. So um, this is a particularly unusual confluence of events, uh, but it's not so unusual for us to have limited and and momentary um, shortages of specific products at any given time. I understand there's one factory in particular, an Abbott factory in Michigan, that is uh, both the source of concern and also maybe closed for a while. Yeah, so the the factory that's uh, the Abbott factory in Michigan is particularly problematic because the closure has been quite quite long. Uh, the way that happened was that there was a, a number of illnesses were discovered in infants uh, receiving some of the Abbott uh, products, and uh, a number of those those babies have actually gotten so ill that they that they ultimately died. So it's a very it's a very serious concern. And uh, the factory has been closed down, and part of the reopening process is to do some pretty intensive investigations and, and um, inspections. And some of the problems that inspectors have, have uncovered are requiring a longer uh, lead time in order to, to rectify them before they can restart production. So because it takes such a long time to produce uh, a, run, a run of product and then get it out to stores, these lengthy these lengthy closures are creating sort of a, a domino effect through the whole market. And where does that leave parents? I understand specifically parents with children who have allergies and so on who need special kinds of infant formula. It's been particularly tough. Uh, but what are you hearing about what parents are going through in the U.S. right now? It has it has been tough. Uh, I think for all parents who are hearing about these stories, because regardless of whether or not it directly affects them, or they see it. 
uh, immediately in their community, the concern about it and the anxiety around it is sufficient to cause some pretty pr- pretty big distress. Um, for parents who are using some specific products, particularly uh, babies who uh, have been diagnosed or suspect that they have a dairy allergy, there are a limited number of products available uh, for those babies uh, who can't be uh, breastfed directly, um, who who have to be on a formula, which is normally cow's milk based. So babies who are allergic to dairy can't take that, can't use the standard infant formulas. And and uh, if they can't be breastfed, they, they then need to use these specialized formulas. And there are really only two brands available out there. And one of them was affected by the Abbott recall. So it's created quite a, quite a concern in that, for that particular group of parents. It's a small group of babies, but if it's your baby, it really doesn't matter that it's a small group of babies. Michelle, as you well know, if we're talking about this tonight, it's because so much of what happens in the U.S. tends to filter across the border to us. Uh, We haven't seen quite the same impact here yet, though, have we? Or will we? No, no. I think we've seen the the reports from both Canadian retailers and from colleagues across the country that uh, we've been keeping in touch with are that the standard infant formulas are really not in any sort of short supply. What the fluctuations that they're seeing are pretty typical and certainly not um, any more significant than they've seen throughout the whole pandemic. For parents who are particularly looking for the fully hydrolyzed formulas, they are having a hard time finding them in many communities. And um, what parents are uh, have been having some success with is contacting the manufacturer directly because they can often identify where the product can be found uh, within a reasonable distance to, the, to their home. I suppose one of the concerns here will be that, you know, images of empty shelves in the U.S. will cause people to start to, to hoard, so to speak, or to buy up in Canada as well. Absolutely, yeah. One of the, the problems that we, we face is that the images are very emotive, regardless of whether or not they apply to your particular community. So regardless of whether or not parents, if they, when they go to the grocery store, actually see empty shelves, if they see empty shelves on news and they see empty shelves on social media and they hear some of the really heart-wrenching stories that we're hearing out of the United States, that reflects in their own experience when really we, that's just not what we're seeing here. And there are reasons for that, partly because we use less infant formula on a per capita basis because we breastfeed more here. Um, and partly because of the way that uh, formula is distributed through the public health nutrition system in the, in the U.S. that it's not distributed here. Um, so that those, those, can, those factors can really skew how the supply gets distributed and, and how people take it up at, at the retail level. Is there any anticipation that as this situation in the U.S. continues, it might come, come across the border in some way, shape or form? Well, you know, I think the Hard pandemic say, has right? taught us all yeah. never to say never about anything. Right. Um, but at the moment, we really don't anticipate uh, a widespread, uh, dif- widespread shortages here um, at, at any point. We are seeing that in the U.S., the manufacturers are ramping up their production. They're improving their distribution. And we expect that the Abbott plant that's been the source of so much consternation and so much concern um, should be up and running quite soon and that supply should start to normalize again. Um, That being said, at an individual level, uh, accessibility is going to vary. So um, someone may may end up at their supermarket and find that they don't have the product that they need. What we really need to communicate to parents is that for the standard infant formulas, all these products are interchangeable. So even if the brand that you usually use isn't on the shelf, 
any brand that's uh, that's labeled as infant formula is is nutritionally adequate and can be used for any child under the age of 12 months. I gather what's important here is just a transition process from one formula to the other if need be. Yeah, and there really isn't the the products are actually almost identical. Um if you look at the the labels, they're the the ingredient lists are very very minimally different. Um there are lots of claims on those uh, labels, but the, the claims themselves don't have any nutritional purpose. They're primarily for marketing purposes. I'm speaking with Michelle Pensabranco. She's the co-founder of the nonprofit Safely Fed Canada. We're talking about the uh, infant formula shortage in the U.S., something we haven't seen the real impact here uh, in Canada of yet, but but certainly the images from the U.S. are uh, emotive enough, as Michelle was mentioning, uh, that it's always good to make sure that Canadians are informed about what the situation is here. Uh, after this, I want to ask you a bit, Michelle, uh, after we take a quick break, just about the conversation that all this has prompted about formula, uh, because there's been a lot of misconceptions, there's been a lot of angry sort of tweets out there uh, towards people talking about this. It has kind of raised a conversation about formula versus breastfeeding. And I'll ask you about that when we get back. I'm speaking with Michelle Pensabranco. She's the co-founder of the nonprofit Safely Fled, Safely Fed Canada. We've been speaking about shortages of baby formula in the U.S. I, I imagine you may have seen the stories. It's uh, pretty shocking, uh, certainly concerning for parents. Uh, a lot of parents in the U.S. right now trying to find formula uh, with these shortages caused by a number of factors, including a uh, manufacturer who shut down a particular manufacturing plant, some supply chain issues as well. We don't expect it to come over across the border, uh, says Michelle, never say never these days, but we haven't seen much of it yet. There may be some isolated incidents, but overall, not the same level of shortages that we're seeing in the U.S. Michelle, I was curious just to see some of the debate that this has sparked, um, specifically in the U.S., but I think everywhere, just about why some parents need to use infant formula and also just, um, you know, breastfeeding resources in general. How are we doing enough to encourage uh, moms to make sure that they don't need formula if need be, or if they have access to it or are understood if they do? Yeah, I think I think um, this is always what unfolds when we have any kind of conversation about infant feeding is that we try and make this into two camps, which is the breastfeeding people over here who are good people and they're doing the right thing, and the formula feeding people who are the wrong on the wrong side and they're doing the wrong thing. The reality is is that those of us who work in this field know that the mothers who breastfeed and the mothers who formula feed are often the same mothers. Most babies in Canada are breastfed, uh, at least initially. Um, the overwhelming majority, for example, of, of infants in uh, BC, 96, 97% of, of babies are breastfed in hospital. So we know that that's not really, it's not really an indiv- it's not really a group um, that's particularly significant or particularly large. Um, but the reality is that most of those people who start out breastfeeding in hospital also will use formula at some point. So the idea that there's like two camps sort of fighting it out mommy war style, um, I think suits some people's narrative, but it doesn't really reflect the reality of parenting in our modern world. And in our modern world, the reality is, is that we don't always do a great job of supporting parents to uh, breastfeed the, uh, for as long as they want to. The research consistently shows in Canada and in the U.S., and elsewhere, that parents stop breastfeeding well before they intended to for reasons that are largely not in their control. So for reasons of difficulty with support, difficulty with technique, uh, difficulty with managing their their daily lives so that they can they can fit in their parenting and, 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 and the time that they need to spend um, feeding their babies. So those are things really that I think those conversations always seem to unfold because I think it's a con- convenient way to set up two opposing camps. But the reality is, is that for parents, 
we know that we're sh- we're sharing more experiences than than we're having as as different ones. So um, it's important, I think, to remember when we talk about breastfeeding parents versus formula feeding parents that those are not really two distinct groups. It just depends what point in, in their parenting journey you happen to come upon them. Um, and the you know the good news is is we can we can improve and increase breastfeeding even if it's even if it hasn't been going so well with good support. Um, one of the challenges we have right now is, is that many of the programs and many of the support uh, supports that are in place at the community level have not been happening because of uh, pandemic-related changes, staffing difficulties, and just plain funding. It wasn't going so well before the pandemic started either. It would seem like something that would be necessary to pick up again uh, and at least make sure that uh, that there are facilities available widely uh, that allow uh, allow moms and, and parents in general to make that choice. Absolutely. And most parents, when they have support and they have an, an environment that's enabling, have already shown us and told us that not only are they willing to do it, they're willing to really put in lots of effort because for a parent to get to the point where they're despite all of the lack of support where they are exclusively breastfeeding is quite, it's quite a feat these days. Um, So I think parents have really shown us that they're they're This is something that's important to them and that they're willing to do, to do it. If we'll simply put in the supports that they need to make that happen. But more funding obviously needed to make sure that this is happening at the community level, that the support is there. Because as you mentioned, it is difficult. And the fact that so many choose to stop because they just can't uh, is something that we could we could easily we could easily at least uh, lessen to some extent. Yeah, and parenting is tough, regardless of how you feed your baby. So when we talk about supports, we're talking about breastfeeding supports, but we're also talking about the supports of just transitioning to being a parent of a young child and being a family and managing all of those things. So again, creating too many lines and too many um, categorizations of of who we're going to help and who we're not going to help is really, I think, not very helpful. We really need to look at that transition to parenthood as a time when we're going to wrap services around parents to help them set their family up for a healthy life. Hopefully if something... If something good happens from these shortages is that we're having this conversation again about about how how much more complex it can be than sometimes we see on social media. Michelle, uh, thank you so much for your time tonight. I appreciate it. You're welcome. Thank you very much for having me.